right, welcome back to the Buddy Book Club. I'm Dylan, here with my Treehouse teammate, Keith. And each episode, we're going to be diving into a popular book. But, you know, we're here to talk about the important stuff, like, is peeing your pants cool? What happens in treehouses? And uh, why the hell would anyone lay a five-to-one bet on Bill Travis to win the pie-eating contest? (laughs) That sounds about right to you, Keith? Yes, this is not what we cover on every uh, uh, podcast, but this pertains for this actual book. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, well, for this episode, we're going to be reading uh, The Body by Stephen King, or should I say We've Read. Uh, This is, if this is your uh, first foray into Stephen King, this is like a short story he wrote that was part of a 1982 collection. It was called Different Seasons. It's along with Shawshank Redemption, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, Apt Pupil, and The Breathing Method. Keith, this is your first take into Stephen King, right? Correct, yeah. Um, I've read The Stand and some of his gunslinger stuff. Um, so more of his like fantasy than horror kind of suspense that he's going for. Mm. And then this is kind of neither of those. This is... You know, a coming-of-age story featuring four 13-year-old boys in southwestern Maine. The book takes place over a particularly hot summer weekend as the boys go on an adventure to find the body of another young boy who was lost in the woods and presumably hit by a train. How fun. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of light reading material, right? uh... (laughs) Does does that resemble your childhood? (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, you were like, this isn't going to be a horror book, but it's kind of has the horror book plot. So it's, <laughs> or it could have been at yeah, least. Yeah, it, it definitely could have been, but yeah. it's not. It's, no, it it's a coming isn't. of age story. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, before we get deeper into this episode here, we like to start us off with a libation from the book itself. Sometimes we have to make these up based on the things that are happening in the book. Other times the authors will just hand them right to us. I mean, the hunting party, which we did last two episodes, there was endless options for drinks. Uh, This book was a little bit less, but I think we did find a winner. Some honorable mentions, pop off vodka. Uh, Maybe it's a Northeast thing, but that was definitely our shitty college vodka of choice. Did you ever take pop-off vodka and put it in a Grey Goose bottle and tell people that you are high class? I didn't. I mean, no. totally. Definitely didn't do that. <laughs> I definitely didn't do that at all. No, we just mixed it up into a delicious jungle juice. You know, pop-off isn't something you want to have on its own. You either, yeah. you know, mix it with something or it's <laughs> disgusting for sure. But hey, it's cheap. If you're one of our listeners that doesn't particularly like alcoholic drinks, you came to the right place because... Moxie, which is a delightful soda. Moxie's created... gross. Are you serious? <laughs> Moxie's the grossest thing ever. In Lowell, Massachusetts in 1876. Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting taste. You know? I didn't want to hate on Massachusetts, fellow Massachusetts uh, yeah. soda producer, so I apologize. It's, I didn't realize that. It's great. It's, yeah. it's kind of bittersweet. Not for everyone. <laughs> great can, though. I mean, a yeah. bold orange oh, can. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. What else do you need? But I think our winner will be the Purple Jesus. One and a half ounces of vodka, plus some uh, grape juice, splash of ginger ale, and some red grapes for garnish. I mm. mean, I'm having one now. It's interesting and, <laughs> and delicious. 
I love grape juice and I love ginger ale. So like this works for me. Enjoy that down your gullet while we get deeper into this show. Let's uh, start off because the, the book pretty much focuses on four main characters, Teddy, Chris, Vern, and Gordy. These are, you know, these are the guys who were with the entire movie or the entire book, excuse me. Uh, out of these four though, you have to pick your favorite child. You know, most most parents say, oh, I don't have a favorite child. We don't have to worry about that because we mm-hmm. don't have any children. So out of these four boys, who drove you the most? Yeah, it was a, it was a toss-up. I think Teddy was my number one. Him running away when they kind of got into a fight and with the lightning going on kind of soured me to him. So it's between Chris and Teddy. I got to say probably Teddy, just because everything he's been through, basically his dad treated him like a grilled cheese sandwich, fried his ears. Oh, yikes, dude. (laughs) Yikes. I mean, that and him just being still respecting his dad, still like kind of being one of the gang. I I, got to go with Teddy. What about his death tendencies, a.k.a. running into traffic and trying to dodge cars? Like, that's your boy? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Listen, I always gravitate towards the wild card, the guy that's a, a kind of a sicko in their mind. That's the person I kind of uh, align with most. Not because I don't know why that is, but uh, <laughs> that's the kind of character I always think is interesting. Someone that's a fucking crazy person that wants to get hit potentially by a train or by a car mm. on the freeway. You know, <laughs> just normal day stuff. He would have been great at Truth or Dare from the last book, Hunting Party. Like he would have been like, they would have been like, Truth or Dare is like, I'm down. Dare me. I'll do anything. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Well, I, I I like Teddy. I think he's up there. He's an honorable mention for me. Okay. Uh, I love his zeal for the military. I mean, this book takes place in 1960. So, you know, World War II is 15 years in the past. These kids are 13. Like, they've pretty much been growing up with war stories, war movies, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Teddy's favorite person in the whole world is Audie Murphy who was the most decorated U.S., I think, American total combatant, not even Army, American combatant in World War II. He took a machine gun at one point and engaged an entire company of German infantry single-handedly. There used to be this great website called... You're talking about this guy. No, no, Audie Murphy. (laughs) Murphy. I mean, there was this old website that was great. It was was called badassoftheweek.com, and Mm -hmm. I used to read it every week and Audie Murphy was one of them when you were their age or that like this was like yesterday (laughs) no this was like yesterday okay (laughs) but um Audie Murphy fun fact that's who they based that's who Tarantino based Frederick Zoller his character on in Inglorious Bastards except just swapped it from U.S. to, to Germans um okay so I like Teddy Teddy's up there but I think even though Gordy, who's kind of the main character in this whole thing, because he's the one that's writing the story. He's a good shit, smart guy, loves his friends, much respect, but doesn't really have that wild card aspect, which I agree with. And we have Chris as well. Chris, I mean, all these guys have some troubled family stuff that may we may mm-hmm. or may to go through over this this podcast. But I mean, Chris is just a good guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he as troubled as his home situation is he just loves the shit out of gordy and the rest of his friends but especially gordy i don't know it's tough because i want to say chris here because he is really he's like the ben affleck to matt damon in goodwill hunting <laughs> I think that's exactly you know? what i had i think goodwill hunting stole this relationship 
from they really did they did yeah it's because just that right? the whole time he's saying like gordy like your writing's amazing like everyone else is like oh it's a decent story he's like gordy your writing's great like what are you gonna do like stick around here with us bums like yeah. no get out of here you got to take your writing and go places i am almost certain matt damon and ben affleck yeah. took this relationship to goodwill hunting if you're around here and you're fucking coming over watching the pats on sundays i'll fucking kill you that's not a threat i'll fucking do it kid. <laughs> That's the Favorite. scene. That's literally the, the scene. In this my, yeah. Best part of my day is when I show up to your house that two seconds beforehand when I think <laughs> you might not come outside. <laughs> you might have done a better Boston accent than Benny Affleck right there. That was good. Yeah, well. That scene uh, is so in yeah. this book, essentially. Like Chris pulls him aside and does the, the, the Goodwill hunting scene. I thought about that relationship beforehand. I was like, oh, this is kind of like Goodwill hunting. And then when he does that, that like speech to him, I was yeah. like, oh, this is word for word yeah. what he said. Right Goodwill before hunting. that, Gordy gone to the convenience store and was doing like math equations and shit, like being like the smartest dude in the room. And I was like, oh, yeah. and I right then I thought, wow, this guy's kind of like Will Hunting. And then the next scene <laughs> is that where he's just like giving that speech. I was like, wait a second. Yeah, but unfortunately, neither one of those guys gets gets my nod. I'm going with Vern. Oh my! I, you know God. what? I'm a Vern guy. That's Vern is a sweetheart. All right, Vern is a sweetheart. He's not. He might not be bright. You know, he might not be bright like Gordy, but the kid's got a good heart. You know, he's the first one to console Teddy after the junkyard incident. You know, he goes up to Teddy and he's like fucking hugging him and just being such a sweet kid. So that's one. He's got that like childhood exuberance that you need on this trip you know everyone's kind of like on a mission and he's like running mm -hmm. over the tracks you know paratroops over the side you know he's having fun with it which we respect and the most important one is that he's the only one of them that like takes a minute while they're walking to kind of look around and just say like how awesome is this like guys this is amazing look what we're doing this is so cool and we need more of that in our lives. We need mm -hmm. more of it, like enjoying the moment, taking a break and to have someone in your crew that's doing that for you. That's my ride or die. Yeah. All right. I, I can give you that. But then again, at the end, my, my one criticism of, of Teddy was he's actually not a ride or die to the last minute where Vern is like out, the first one out of the group. He, he threw everyone on the bus as soon as he possibly could. Teddy, I think he said it was because he was scared of lightning, right? As the boys would say, Vern's a pussy. You know? <laughs> okay. And there's, but they did rib on him, but, but they know he, they need him. Yeah. <laughs> so at least for this adventure and speaking of the adventure itself, this is a short, a quote unquote short story. It's still like what? 200 pages. So yeah, it's no uh, death of a salesman. Like this is a, uh, a legit book in my yeah. opinion, but at the same time, there's pretty much like six, maybe six or seven scenes which of those did you find to be your favorite so best scene or favorite scene i feel like it kind of comes down to you know when we meet the guys at the beginning then yeah. the whole junkyard incident the train them trying to like run over the bridge before the train gets there mm -hmm. leeches my... <laughs> the leeches is the worst <laughs> but uh my favorite was the interaction with the store clerk i know i already touched on that kind of the goodwill hunting vibe there but just in general this whole book is really about kids kind of being kids and wanting to be treated like adults but not having the privileges of that adults have they don't have cars they have to basically do everything on their own the interaction with the store clerk of that guy being a fucking asshole trying to fucking basically rob this kid that kind of really stood out to me 
and him kind of one upping this dude and give him the big fucking fuck you as he left give him the, the big middle finger that was like my favorite part i was so fucking amped up after that being like let's fucking go gordy team gordy all the way <laughs> after that you know what i mean like that kind of resonated with me and this is the reason that i don't treat kids like kids i don't talk down to them because i don't think we should do that as a society you know me d man i don't even babies yeah, well, i fucking I mean, talk to them because <laughs> Because like they're normal but yeah, like that's how we should like treat people yeah I, I hate talking down to people i think more adults should treat kids like adults and more uh, adults should act like kids it should be reverse you know everyone should uh, enjoy life more as an adult and kids should be treated more like adults you're Vern. you're Vern. you're Vern. yeah back. i look at it yeah exactly treat everyone equally I mean, everyone should have a bit more, bit more fun in life you know that's <laughs> that's all i'm about here deep man if you had kids you'd be like so did you get your taxes done? They'd be like in their high chair. Be like, let me tell you about taxes, child. Oh, excuse me, uh, human. I'm not going to de degrade you by calling yeah. you child. Well, it's funny you say that because to tell you the truth, out of all of the scenes in this book, my favorite was also the grocery scene. Wow, we love yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Dusset, you know, Gordy goes into Mr. Dusset's store. And at first it's like, you know, amicable. They're just saying nice things, you know, Oh, you look like your brother. I think Gordy starts to get a little turned off when the guy's kind of like talking about his brother reverentially and not even paying attention to Gordy, kind of like what happens in With Gordy's own, own yeah. home. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, Gordy's quick enough to realize the guy's got his thumb on the scale when he's weighing out the hamburger. And then additionally, the guy can't add and Gordy's quick with that math. And it's like, well, actually, dude, like that's not that's not right. I'd read the the quote that Gordy says to him. Unfortunately, it has some racial epithets in there about the Japanese people <laughs> who, who are good people, but you know, this is post-World War II. Gordy yeah, pulls it, a, Gordy pulls a hey, what's your major dude to him? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the guy, you know, Mr. Dusset just takes immediate offense to his intelligence. He's like, What are you? Like, who are you? It's like, I don't, I'm just trying to not be you yeah, know, yeah. gypped off by this guy and agree with you on the final point too, that Gordy has a fuck you chambered. And even though it's a we 13 year it. old kid, he's walking out of the store, the store clerk spirit being an ass to him. And he just says, Hey, fuck you. It's like, Whoa, 13 year old kid coming at you like that. Much, the most much deserved fuck you I've seen in a book in a long, long time. Yeah, there was uh there was definitely some pride there. But considering we had the same point for the scenes, like I thought it for me, you know, it was obviously the leeches one is memorable, maybe the most memorable, but because someone gets a leech stuck to their nutsack, but like, that's a big <laughs> deal. Gordy years later has a scar from a leech yeah. attached to his nut. <laughs> oh, like, the leech yes. scene was maybe one of like the most horrific things i've read in a book your balls or whatever you have as a person didn't go up into your intestines reading that oh that was i didn't even know eels existed in the northeast i didn't know that was leeches. it's leeches oh what's it what's the difference eels yeah so leeches are like slugs okay eels are like anyways fish. either way i didn't know snakes <laughs> either of those existed the things that suck up your blood from you aren't those eels lead it's a leech it's it's a slug it's basically <laughs> are they not the same <laughs> no an eel <laughs> what eel and leeches are probably the same People and i learned eel. today <laughs> what yeah anyways that anyway. is horrifying scenery for no reason they just added that in like jesus christ Stephen. Well, this is a, yeah. like a good coming of age story i'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight
And then especially how he takes it off and then the leech like (laughs) grenades in his hand and just explodes with like blood and leech guts everywhere. It's like, oh my God. Big ass for your friends there. He's like, yeah, you want to take this off for me? Like, no, bud. Are you serious? (laughs) Yes. I respect that. You know, he's like, hey, Chris, I can't do this myself. I need a hand here. You know what, Keith? I'd do that for you. I would pull, I would pull leech off your neck. I wouldn't ask. I wouldn't ask that of you. That's the type of person I am. (laughs) But so. yeah, so that was a little taste of the of the weird Stephen King in that scene. <laughs> yeah. But I will tell you this this book, which was like I said, written in '82, it was made into a film, Stand by Me, in '86. The movie, you haven't seen it, I have, does not show an exploding leech. Oh, okay, that's that's I, nice. Yeah, and the boys are wearing their underoos, <laughs> and he just kind of, he just kind of reaches in and pulls out a leech with some blood on it, and then passes out, which is probably a, you know better more family friendly (laughs) but for me it was really between the grocery store and the story within the story of the revenge of lardass hogan because that's a great little story it was a good story the problem i have with it is that we're already in a short story quote unquote right and then he just puts another short story in the short story a part of a series of short stories right so this guy's he's inceptioning us a little bit right and then within the short story there's a little short story of everything he, he'd always, which is kind of, a, I'm guessing how Stephen King writes all of his books. He'll be like, and then Jane down the road, Jane was favorite thing was to eat chocolate ice cream on Sundays and to, you know, love to go to church. And, you know, he just goes into this like rant about someone that has nothing to do with anything, which I kind of love, which kind of gave me the um, Shawshank Redemption or uh, Goodfellas where they'll just be like, and that was like Jimmy Jimmy. And he did this, you know, I kind of yeah. love that actually. But at a certain point, it kind of got a little bit repetitive when there was a story instead of a story instead of a story, you know. That's fair. So that was the one thing that I thought was kind of cheating. And then on the Stud City one in particular. Is that um, that's the first story? Yeah, the short story. He was like, wrote this story. He puts it in the book and then he's like, oh, yeah, but that wasn't that good of a story because like I was in college when I wrote it. It's just like a cop out in my opinion, right? You can just be like, yeah, that part of this book I just wrote, it wasn't that good because it was someone else writing it that was younger that wrote it. Like, what? what that? that doesn't make sense. Yeah. The Chico story played a lot into our main story, just kind of about death and mortality and like living with that, which is kind of, it's kind of the same story as Gordy's in terms of his brother died in a, yeah. Car, I mean, it wasn't a car accident, but it was on a racetrack. So like, what's the difference? So yeah. I it think that like... played more to the narrative than okay. the Lardass Hogan one, which was really just like a complete aside that was just like, <laughs> yeah. hey, there's this crazy story. <laughs> like his imagination is amazing, by the way. But he, I was like, I have another short story, but it's not long enough. So I'll just throw it into this one <laughs> and use it and say, yeah. this guy's an yeah. author. It's like, that's yeah. convenient. When it comes to the revenge of Lardass Hogan, the thing I loved about it was its absurdity. You know, it was... Mm-hmm. It's a story about a kid who gets picked on. So he enters a food contest to make everyone vomit. Like that's his goal. Yeah. It's an awesome, um, awesome story. I don't know yeah. Why hilarious story. Really. Also, real quick. If you down a, like a quart of motor oil, does that not kill you? <laughs> it's, you not just... motor, it's not motor oil. It's castor oil. Oh, what's the difference? Uh, no, castor oil is like vegetable oil. It's just, I mean, there's... Oh, that, I was like, oh, he's committing suicide. And then I'm like, how is he holding this in his stomach this whole time? Yeah, so I think it was like an old, there's definitely okay. people say there's some like medicinal aspects to it. I don't know if it's like a, it's not like a cooking oil, but okay. it's it's based off vegetables. You're thinking of like <laughs> castrol. I'm thinking of oil. You're thinking you of put... castrol. 
Wait, what is it then? It's not Castrol? No, it's Castor. Oh. You're thinking of Castrol. Man, this is where the audiobook kind of comes back <laughs> to haunt me. Then again, I would definitely read it wrong also. So it doesn't matter yeah. either way. I would have got it wrong, but still. Yeah. The only, I thought also the great part about about the Revenge of Lord S. Hogan was the whole gambling aspect. You know, like mm-hmm. Bill Travis is the big, is the big, the hot, the hot shot there, I guess. You know, he's the one that's won like two years in a row. And I was like, okay. And then I thought like for the pod, we should set odds. I was like, oh, we should set odds on like what these things are. No, no, no. Au contraire, mon frere. Stephen mm. King comes, <laughs> comes at you and is like, all right, so Bill Travis is a five to one favorite. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, and Lardas Hogan's a seven to one dog. And so I'm like doing the math in my head. Like, all right, who am I betting on at this point? But it's like him being a five to one favorite is absurd. Like that's Tyson versus Buster Douglas. You know, granted, yeah, yeah. I mean, it actually turned out like that. Uh, Tyson was actually, FYI, Tyson was a 42 to one favorite against Buster Douglas. That that's year. insane. On the MC of the contest, he bet $10 on Bill Travis. Like, did make two dollars? <laughs> yeah. Like what? And then he tries to influence Lardass Hogan by saying, "Hey, you know, slow down. Don't eat so. Don't eat so quick." Right. It's the guy at the party, or when you're watching a football game, who's like, "Yeah, I took this money line parlay with all these favorites." It's like that's the worst thing you can do. This guy's <laughs> betting ten dollars to win two dollars. Right. It doesn't Travis. make any sense. Yeah, yeah, shameful, shameful. But I like the story, so that was it. Was up there for me. Yeah, it was, it was a good awesome. story. I liked it a lot. I did love that Stephen King would kind of check in with me at times when he's writing. He would be like, am I right to, to me? Which I felt like is a more personal way to talk. And he, he was very casual about his writing style. And he's like, you know, can you dig it? And he would just like talk to me during the, the book. Did, did you get that feeling that me and Stephen were connected like that? I did get the feeling that you and Steven were <laughs> okay, connected thank you. like that. Yeah. Appreciate that. He does break the fourth wall to some degree. I mean, yeah. it's an interesting book because it's written... It's Gordy writing the book, you know, 30 years later, 20 years later, Mm -hmm. you know, so he's writing a story, but it's almost like a, a story for a magazine. Like he's kind of embracing the reader as he's writing it. So I I like that. I don't know from other Stephen King books I've read. He hasn't done that. So I don't know if like this is the only one, but, but I liked it. You know, it's a good, like you said, it's like Goodfellas where you're kind of embracing the audience a little bit or Wolf of Wall Street. Exactly. And I also did like the it, it's kind of a different type of world building when he like kind of gives you a sense of instead of just focusing on the four characters and they're like, that's all thing you need to know. You kind of get it. The world built around around the town of who everyone is and all these people. So even though I did yeah. criticize the fact that they would be like, there's Mary May down the road and she's da, da, da. it's kind of this world building sense where you're like, oh, I know a person like that. Like you kind of imagine that person right away which is kind of cool too. So I'll give him credit for that. Not only, not only that also in my loves is cross references in books. So some people do this with their movies. Like Tarantino does this with his movies where like the characters throughout different movies are kind of connected in some way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can go through some serious Reddit threads on that. I'm not going to dive into that, but for this book specifically, he mentions the dog at the junkyard is like Cujo who is the, main antagonist of one of his other books Cujo mm-hmm. about this rabid dog that goes crazy they mentioned Shawshank prison at one point which ties back to Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption Ray Brower the kid they're trying to find he's from Chamberlain which is the setting for the book Carrie 
and Ace Merrill, our, our bad guy in this one, and Vern are also featured in Nona, which is another one of Stephen King's short oh, stories. Wow. There's there's more. There's more, too, like more references in That's here. Awesome. But it's cool because, like, if you were a big Stephen King fan, like, you see these threads. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, I don't remember what the books were when we were kids. They're like Easter was, eggs, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like an yeah. Easter egg. It's like the the Superman and Seinfeld episodes. Yeah. Um, but the this book we read when we were kids, like there was always like the two animals were in the frame somewhere, and you kind of mm-hmm. found them for fun. Right, right. So I like those kind of cross reference Easter eggs, but it's also world building, like you said, where yeah. you think Stephen King has this whole, you know, he has this whole fake main inside his head that <laughs> yeah. he just lives in while he's yeah. living in real Maine. That's so yeah, cool. that, that was one of my favorites as well. What else did you love about this book? Yeah, I thought too, you just mentioned the dog scene where they're like, they're like, the dog will rip your neck off and it's this fucking massive thing that like rips people's testicles off first. But um, yeah, that kind of reminded me of Sandlot, which I thought this kind of whole book was like a rated R version of Sandlot. It's just kids kind of being kids like, you know, in, in Sandlot, the, the dog across the street. Um, has the baseball and they're like that's the most evil dog of all time and it ends up being you know a sweetheart kind of but yeah i thought that was kind of a kind of a cool tie back to this yeah if stephen king wrote sandlot he wouldn't call him an l7 weenie he'd call him a fucking pussy (laughs) 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 it's basically the difference yeah that's exactly right (laughs) yeah no i i definitely had some sandlot vibes as well especially with the dog and it shows how like stories of when you're a kid like they just kind of grow and get bigger in your mind and at the end of the day, they're really not that big of a deal at all. Uh, granted, I do think Chopper, the dog in this movie, although he wasn't the beast they expected, yeah, he, he might have done him some damage. And also, PETA, what's the deal? They like abuse Chopper. His nose gets all messed up, like through the fence. It's it's actually kind of sad. I didn't like that part actually. That's more on the owner than it is them, right? I mean, they're... yeah, I guess that's true. The owner should be pulling him back. Yeah, but quickly here. 1960s nicknames i love that we you know out of it's mostly for the bad guys in this book the older boys but norman fuzzy brackowitz like fuzzy great nickname mm-hmm. ace ace is the leader come on yeah you, slick, you slick and ace are great yeah 60s <laughs> names great bad guy 60s name he probably carries around a deck of cards or something yeah 100%. And then, like um chris's older brother's name is eyeball <laughs> what i don't know like, that one, that one <laughs> well it's just a great i mean i think yeah. they said early on that his eye like one of his eyes was like a little weird and like, oh god in, in all seriousness it's probably from like his dad probably hit him pretty fucking hard when he was a kid you uh, know yes. dislodged his eye yeah but either way your eyeball for the rest of your life yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 1960s slash just like good nicknames i dug that and then lastly tree houses what the hell happened to tree houses? When I was a kid, it was all the rage. Like, you know, you see no longer a thing? all the time. Talk about Sandlot. We saw it in Sandlot. Yeah. I don't know. When's the last time you saw a tree house in a movie? I mean, I haven't been hanging around with 12-year-old kids as of late, well, obviously because of COVID. I mean, usually I would. You, I mean, what? <laughs> did um, you watch uh, Step Brothers? There's a tree house in Step Brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure it's still a thing. No? <laughs> I don't know. Kids these days, I don't think are. I don't know if it's the internet or whatever it be but i don't think tree houses are cool anymore and especially this particular tree house is pretty sweet like 
I mean, I wouldn't be smoking cigs when I was their age, but yeah. uh, they sure are. And you know what? All po- all the power to you, boys. <laughs> but they're flipping through some nudie magazines in between games of blackjack. Like, yes, I'm I'm a hundred percent in. Get yeah. me in this treehouse. It sounds pretty on, awesome. On top of that, the odds of this casino, this treehouse casino, are phenomenal. Blackjack pays two to one. You're not going to find that in any casino. What is it usually? uh, 125%? Three to two. Gotcha. Yeah, so three to two. And then they don't allow five-card Charlie at any casino. But at the Treehouse, if you get five-card Charlie, you get paid two to one. Like, whoever's the dealer is losing money here. So I got to get in on this game. Yeah, yeah. You're probably counting cars at this point. They have no idea. They're only 12. (laughs) I mean, that's probably what uh, Gordy was doing. He's fucking mathematician over there. But when I was a kid, we would go trick-or-treating for the specific purpose of once we got back, we would play poker with our with our loot. Oh, I like that. You know? Yeah. So yeah, we'd go out for the day. We'd always have a sleepover, assuming he was like, Wait, how did you rank like let's say you got almond joys? I mean, I know most people don't really like almond joys. I, I think they're okay. But like what do you is that worth the same as a Reese's PCs? You know, I said that wrong. Reese's well, cup. Well, I appreciate that you said PCs. And yeah, not pieces. I, I know. I'm it very is Reese's PCs. There's no question. If yeah. you have a problem with Reese's PCs, <laughs> then call me. I but, think I've heard like I've heard like a hundred people correct me on that, so I'm shocked you're on my side, and I absolutely love that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. But no, it's a one for one. So if, if okay. you, I mean, and an almond joy was really like a Hershey's nugget. It was an anti because people don't like almond joys. Yeah, I particularly right. am fond of them. Oh, so you know, you go through your stack, you organize your you organize your candy, and then it's a one for one bet. And if you're gonna throw a Reese's cup out there, that's that's a big wager because those are phenomenal. Mm. Gotcha. Plus, just like let's talk about candy logistics. Let's take a quick break here and talk about candy logistics. Yeah, I want to hear about it. A Reese's cup compared to a full-size Reese's cup, which is two cups, is 50% of a full-size. Whereas all the other candies are fun size, which isn't fun at all, and they're very small. So they're probably like a fifth or a quarter of the size of a real Snickers bar. Yeah, but so, I think, but I think realistically, it's that the the full size of a Reese's cup is undersized rather than. I understand you're saying it's fifty percent less, but it's really it should be it should be three cups at least, and then it'd be more realistic. But that's just the, the it's an undersized, oversized candy bar. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. This is you know what I'm gonna have a lot to think about tonight. <laughs> mostly, it's gonna be I really want a Reese's cup right yeah, now. Yeah. Oh my god! You gotta throw those bad boys in the fridge. That's the key. Get them a little, a little cold. Giddy up. Yeah, or in the freezer. Just go straight to the freezer. But yeah, so tree houses. I really like that. I was yep. a big fan of the treehouse that they had kind of situated, you know, they had the pinup girls on the wall and stuff like that. These guys are 13 year old kids, like respect. I, I love the treehouse aspect. So you're out of loves. What do we got for hates? Yeah. The only other thing for love I forgot was just the lingo, which you kind of think you touched on, but rank you. Can you dig it? That eats the meat. <laughs> I kind of liked all those. <laughs> oh, I had some of those for, uh, for potent quotables. Okay. All right. That's... <laughs> other thing I hated, which I think you, as the chef of the of this pod might be able to speak to better, but they go and they're like, all right, let's get some, some food. And they get raw hamburger meat, three pounds of it. And they walk around with it. And it's like 90 degrees outside in the sun all day in the sun. And then they're like, yeah, we'll just put it on a stick and put it over the, the fire. 
Is that how it works, Steve, man? I'm pretty sure if you have raw meat in the sun, one, it's going to go bad. Two, it doesn't just stick together and clump together once it's fucking been melting in your the back, right? <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. All right. The the ground beef aspect was tough. It was okay. definitely tough. And they also mentioned hot dogs and beans you... the whole book. There's like 10 scenes with it. That's the perfect campfire meal. Why would you not do hot dogs and beans? Those yeah. are already cooked. I Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more with the hot <laughs> okay, dogs. It's you. awesome that you said this because it was at the top of my list too. <laughs> okay. <And> perfect. <laughs> so agree with the hot dogs and beans. Like the hot dogs are already processed. Like they yeah. can probably stay out in the like out of the refrigerator for longer plus beans full of protein full of sugars you're gonna you're gonna it's a great like i'm on a two-day hike snack Mm -hmm. you know and you can cook it over fire really easily the ground beef though made no sense whatsoever (laughs) i mean unlike a steak ground beef has to be cooked to a higher temperature because the fact that as you're grinding it you're introducing more of the meat to air Mm -hmm. and also bacteria And also the grinding, like the grinding function of it too, could have some bacteria on it. So if some bacteria is introduced, now you have more surface area of meat that could be attracted to the bacteria and the bacteria will multiply. And that multiplication process is called the danger zone, which is anytime a meat is between 40 degrees and 140 degrees, that's when bacteria multiplies at its highest rate. They picked up the meat around 11, 1130. So you have at those temperatures, you have about an hour because it's a super hot day in the summer. You have about an hour that the meat can be at room temperature before you really have to cook it. And you don't have to be too, the FDA is kind of crazy about this. You don't have to cook it always to the max, but they didn't cook the meat until like 630. So this is like seven hours, six, seven (laughs) hours that the meat has just been festering in their backpack on their back as they're just like sweating in the super hot day. Yeah. So you're talking about E. coli. You're talking about salmonella. I mean, this is just all proliferating within the meat itself. But then additionally, Once they actually cook the meat, okay, now you got to sear the shit out of it to cook that bacteria off if there is any. No, no. These kids, they even say, they're like, yeah, we could, we just were so hungry. We just pretty much ate it raw off the (laughs) stick. It's like, why is there not a part in the third act of this book where (laughs) everyone's just shitting their brains out? It's the the lard-ass Hogan, except instead of vomit, it's just shit. And none of them can stop shitting because without question, they got... (laughs) E. coli or salmonella, guaranteed. The ground beef made no sense to me. I also hate it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm kind of on the same page here for this book, which we love. One the second. other big thing, which this is more of a general, it wasn't that big of a deal in this book. I, I mean, I don't want to go on a rant here, but dreams in any, in any book or any movie or any TV show, I think is the dumbest artistic tool that's ever been created. Dreams okay. don't mean shit. And they, and they had a dream sequence in here where he's like, oh, I'm just imagining Chris. I forget even what happens, but I've gone past episodes that have dreams in them because I think they're an absolute piece of garbage. They have, add nothing to the story and they're just a way for someone that's artistic to spew fucking bullshit onto the screen or onto the into a book that doesn't mean anything. It's fucking bullshit. I don't want to hear anyone tell me about their dreams. I don't want to hear anyone written about their dreams. I don't want to see any movie about them. So fuck that. Fuck dreams. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you dream? Yeah. Do you remember your dreams? Sporadically, yeah. Sporadically. Would you say once a week more? Yeah, I'll say once a week. Once a week. Yeah. See, that's your problem. You're not remembering your dreams. You got to work on that. You got to start living in your dreams. You got to get some lucid dreaming going on. 
I've stopped shows. What was the show? Sopranos had an episode. I I must stop. Watching oh, great, that. great episode. Terrible episode. There's so there's actually like three or four. We need we need to take up time. It's the same thing when like no a comedy... these mean things. These no, mean things. It's, it's, it's this in this book. If you can't when he... if you can't get across what you want to get across through the the story, and you have to use a dream to do it, that's just like a a cheap cheap stunt, which I don't agree with, and I don't like at all. Okay, I'm going to disagree with you here because not only did Stephen King get his point across in the story itself, but the dream... He, did. he didn't, didn't need the dream. I don't remember the dream was now. The dream helped solidify it. The dream, at the point of the dream, he's talking about all the people pulling... It's Gordy's dream. And Gordy's talking about all the people, especially like the dead people, his brother and whatnot, like pulling him into the water to yeah. drown him. And a lot of this story is Gordy's story about understanding his own mortality and facing death like that's kind of one of the whole points of it all is like he wants to go see this body to like see what to look death in the face because his brother had died he's like trying to think when am i gonna die with you know will people mourn me when i die it's so much about his own mortality and coming to terms with that that the dream is about that as well with the dead people kind of and and him and then also with him writing this book after you know Vern and all the kids who all paid you off from, the english teachers his, pay you off for this this all is his what it friends, sounds like all his friends who he went on this journey with have died by the time he's writing this book yeah and so he's kind of looking at it like why did i live yeah, he, he, I, you he, know it's crazy that he remembered that dream from 20 years ago that's so convenient it's ridiculous <laughs> you could just have the character say it feels like I'm dr being drowned by my past with blah, 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 blah. Like you can do the exact same thing. You don't he need says to all stuff like that. This is just an, another, this is just like another layer of icing on the cake. That's as simple as that. And I, it's okay. We'll agree to disagree right, on this. Fair one. enough. Another, another thing that I hated was when the train comes in the, the most anxiety ridden scene when Gordy touches the rail as they're, walking across the river like yeah. hundreds of feet up and the train comes gordy freezes and pees his pants totally understandable but then he's in blue jeans the rest of the day slash the next day he's just walking around in pee pants so the whole rest of the book i couldn't even get involved because i was just thinking god it would suck to have <laughs> piss pants okay. like all i'm thinking of is it yeah. would suck i mean i don't know when the last time you peed your pants was but I remember a time when I was probably about Gordy's age that I was at a buddy's baseball game, hot summer. I was also wearing jeans. I, there was no bathroom around. I had to pee so bad and, and I just pissed my pants. It just happened. But it was, was hard. Year, you said, or <laughs> I need to get out of those jeans immediately. It was not like jeans, especially just don't absorb everything well, but yeah. then they're like was it a crunching and weird full piss full, In the book, full on. Piss. I'm saying though. I thought it was like uh, one of those, like, you just finished pissing and you let a little That's out. That's what I'm talking about, the book. No, he didn't just... Oh. He said, like, all of his muscles froze, but for some reason his bladder just released. So oh. I assume he just fully peed. Additionally, piss stinks, especially these guys are dehydrated. Yeah, like, you're right. That's a full nitrate pee. He's got pee dribbling down his leg and then additionally has to hang out for 24 hours. At some point... One of his buddies would be like, 
it smells like piss. <laughs> like, what's <laughs> what's this, going the on here? Smell tolerance was much different back then, so I think uh, <laughs> you could get away with it. It's like, oh yeah, so I was like, like they probably like pissed in the treehouse. Like it wasn't a big yeah. deal. So I, don't, I think way, there was a big, little bit different tolerance level. Either way, I just every time Gordy was talking throughout the rest of this book, I was like, oh my god, he must be so uncomfortable with all <laughs> yeah. that pee in his pants. Who wears <laughs> jeans on a, a long journey like that too? I, I missed that part. Yeah, they didn't that's... have athletic shorts. It wasn't. You gotta thing. have meshies there. Are you ha- and if you piss in meshies, they dry in like a you know an hour in the sun. You're good. You don't even notice that anymore, dude. Meshies weren't invented. You remember like dads mowing lawns in the '90s? They oh. wore sweatshorts. Like that's oh that's all you had was sweatshorts. I can't even imagine. Let's get to the stock market here. Stock up, stock down. Who was affected by this book in a valuation perspective? What do you got? Physical abuse. So back stock then, up? <laughs> Wait, hold so, back, what? so back then, apparently you just could hit kids all the time. No one said one thing about it. It was basically normal. Everyone was getting beat up. Bullies were just beating people up. Gordy at one point said he was jealous that Chris got his ass kicked all the time by his parents and his parents didn't care enough to beat him up. So physical abuse, stock up. Should be, it sounds like it's something that's good in the long run. Hot take, yikes. <laughs> that's, that's how I read it. I how mean, it's pretty, it's pretty clear Gordy's saying that because like he's got the opposite, which is no physical abuse, but also nothing. I'm like saying he wanted to get like beat there. up. He was, he yeah. was begging for it. There's some strong literary stuff reading between the lines there, but uh, I'm I'm not going to get into that because that's not what we're here for. My <laughs> stock up, the NRA, the National Rifle Association. Okay. So there's one gun featured in this book. Chris takes it from his dad. The gun is used a couple of times, but at no point is it used on another person. And more importantly, it's a bunch of kids holding the gun who are successfully defending themselves against knife wielding thugs. So basically it's a David versus Goliath, but you have a gun. So at the end of this, you can surmise that if you have a gun in a situation where someone would hurt you, it's going to be better for you. NRA stock way up, way up. And we'll take that check from the NRA that's coming in soon. Uh, so great. But no, what about okay. the time where they just misfired into a fucking public area with the gun? No, nothing about that. Well, yeah. Like telling <laughs> your buddy it's not loaded, but then so it's maybe, not a great look, but Hey, no yeah. one was hurt. No okay. Was hurt. I'll give a stock down now. Hitchhiking. I think you might've had something similar. However, they just hitchhike to get to places here, which ironically awesome. enough. Awesome. Yeah. Amazing. Ironically enough, though, people like fucking Stephen King made it so everyone was scared. I mean, it's probably 99.9% of people hitchhike successfully without anything happening. But Stephen King's of the world have made hitchhiking faux pas and fucking make it scary to hitchhike now because of, of books like this and books where he murders people off of hitchhiking. So stock down. Shame on you, Stephen King. Okay. <laughs> I would argue that the the people who really affected hitchhiking were the serial killers. Who no, were- those are written about. I don't see any reports on those people. I don't know where these are, D-Man. <laughs> yeah. I would say um, Ed Kemper, you know, he was the co-ed killer. That sounds like he, a made-up name. I don't know that is. <laughs> he's actually, you should look him up. He's oh, wait, Kemp, very, is he from... Very- uh- Mindhunters. Criminal Minds? Mindhunters. Yeah, there you go. Mindhunters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He okay. jerks off in the shoe. 
Yeah, but he's a real person. He was a co-ed killer. He picked chicks up and murdered them. I mean, he's one. There was also like the Santa Clara. I think it's Santa Clara. You'd have to look this up. But there's lots of serial killers who are murdering hitchhikers. I haven't heard about them recently. That's all I got to say. So considering this book was written in 1982 after uh, all this hitchhiking murders happened, I would not blame Stephen King. Stephen King, if you're listening, this is not on you, bro. (laughs) (laughs) The only one I know about is uh, something about Mary. To the Ed Kempers out there, fuck you, because you ruined it for the rest of us. Yep. I lived on the far side of town. I would have loved to hitchhike, but it was definitely frowned upon in my family. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, hitchhiking is also stuck down for me, though. So there we go. Uh, I also have, though, Popeye, Popeye the Sailor, stocked down for him throughout this book because they reference a particular skit they did on a Popeye cartoon with uh, Salami Salami Baloney. And I looked up the cartoon and I watched it so racist (laughs) so (laughs) racist because i was like oh this has to be something about like arabs you know like allah allah because they think they said something about that Mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly what it is and it's it's just super racist you you have to watch it to see it but yeah bad look for popeye on this one the salami salami baloney is also referenced in a seinfeld episode the heart attack episode so i know you're a big seinfeld guy but uh popeye definitely racist Sorry. Okay. And by uh, community property, community property, so is spinach, right? Because that's basically he's the biggest proponent of spinach. So anyway, stock down for spinach, too. <laughs> community property. Another stock down for me, the adult Gordy, when they kind of intersperse between what's happening in the book to what's happening with Gordy in his adult life, he takes a trip to New York and he says, fuck the World Trade Center. That sentence Stock down. <laughs> Does not too, too work. Soon? Uh, a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Sorry, okay. Gordon, but now you would be considered a terrorist. Mo- moving right along. <laughs> Discovering girls when you're 15. Uh, what? In the end of the book, he, he uh, says that this could never have happened when they were 15, only when they were 12, because they would have discovered girls and girls in their class by the time they were 15. When you were 12, you were you discovered girls at that point. Let's let's put it that way. Starship Troopers, anyone? Which one? Which one were you? Were you the um shit? What's the main the big Dixie? lift girl? No, what's her, is it Dixie? It's Daisy. Trixie? Daisy? No. I don't know. But which one were <sighs> you? The frizzy haired, the frizzy haired chick or frizzy the... hair. Yeah. Oh god yeah. Yeah. Okay. But at the same time, to be fair, Dizzy. I would say Dizzy. Dizzy. Yeah. I would say that these guys had discovered girls. They were looking at pinups in their tree. Yeah. Like, but it was serious. weird that they were like, we would have been obsessed with girls instead of, but 12 years old, you're, you're at that point. But anyways, I, I think, I think when they were saying was 15, they like really discovered girls. So we talking okay. Discovery. Either way, discovering down, stock down. <laughs> <laughs> Two quick ones. Kids knowledge. Being able to set up camps, fixing blisters, building fires, oh, insults one. ready at that fucking second, middle fingers ready to pop, fuck you's ready to go. Kids' knowledge has gone way down. I was not doing any of that shit when I was a kid. And then stock up quickly, novellas. I didn't know what that was, but it's just basically a novel. It's it's, it's just a, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's like a short story, like a novel, but it's called yeah. novellas. There's no really. It's just like a fancy way to say that. So great play short, by that. It's a shorter story. Yeah, but it's so a novel. <laughs> it's literally I don't know why it's called novellas, but I was like, oh shit, this must be fancy. That's a great good play. 
All right. I will agree on the boys understand like the boy scouts stuff in general, just like yeah. them making a fire in the woods and like being pretty much self-sufficient at 13. Like, yeah, yeah I, I, no chance. I wasn't there, but I appreciate, I appreciate that. I don't know if that's like a made up thing or if it's like actually true, but either way they had a lot more freedom. That's for sure. So yeah. res- respect for them on that. So reading between the lines, what'd you okay. think? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing here was, um, kids that when they're 12, they kind of have the perfect utopia set out. Right. So they all get together. They're like, all right, we need to get food. Everyone pile together money. There's no questions of like, bro, you're only bringing five cents to the table. I'm bringing a dollar 30. It's nope. Here's the money. Everyone. And then pitches in for everything else. Everyone brings the cigarettes they got, the uh, weapons they've stolen. Everyone's in it together as one cohesive group. And there's no finger pointing. They also have these like unwritten rules of like basically make fun of anyone you want. You can fucking say anything you want, but there's certain unwritten rules you don't cross. You don't talk about people's parents. And otherwise you solve it with fighting or you gamble or you do whatever you got to do to solve those problems. Perfect society. I think we give power to all these kids that are 12 years old. They will solve the world's problems. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, theme of the book. Yeah, I'd say that's kind of half fable and and half just it being the 1960s so i will say that they are very communicative in their stuff you know everyone seems to be like willing to share with what they can scrounge together which is like super respectable especially because Vern is digging for pennies every day under his stairs Mm I had a more literal sense to it in terms of reading between the lines. Okay. Um, we're going to go get a little scholastic in this bitch. Because oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the book had to do with like transformation. It was, it's a coming of age novel. And so it's about these kids becoming adults or teenagers, whatever, whatever the case may be. But it's over the course of a weekend in the woods. There's a reason why this book, I feel like, takes place between summer and fall which is, you know, summer is like the free, loving, good time situation. And fall is when real shit starts to set in. The change in weather is actually even mentioned when they're coming back. Like they come back after they see the body. So they went over there. It was like the hottest days of the year. Now they're coming back and it's super cold, showing that they've changed since they've seen the body. They're carefully walking across the train tracks over the river Whereas when they came across the first time, you know, there's a lot of bravado, like, oh, I'm going to run across. I'm going to be the big hot guy. It's like, no, now we're just going to take it easy and make sure that everyone's safe. So it's kind of showing how they grow throughout this experience. And I really enjoyed that. You know, there's, there's even though on the surface, this book is just kind of a, a bunch of 13 year old kids having fun and going on this, you know, this expedition it's showing how they are actually going on way more than that and aging, maturing as it goes down. So I really like that. So (laughs) to sum that up in a sentence, once you crossed over the the one part of the tracks and you come back on it, you're- That sentence sucked. (laughs) I'm trying to sum it up for you. I wasn't reading between any lines. I was just basically like the train tracks. You're still on them. Kid, I'm out of the box. You're just fucking inside the box. Stephen King <laughs> hand feeding you what you need to be told. The train tracks were literal and metaphorical. Don't you realize that? They still went across the train tracks. They still took that risk. Yes, but it's a metaphorical they were like, journey. We'll, they were like, we'll die. I don't care at this point. So basically, the, your your metaphorical thing is that 
they've gone through such hell that they're at this point, they've become old curmudgeons that would rather die than have to deal with anything. That's tough. On the no, way back. no, no. I'm just saying that when they come back, it's more of a measured approach. You know, it's not a willy nilly. They did say on the way back. Yeah. I'm just going to cross this train tracks. I don't give a fuck if a train comes. I'd rather die than have to go all walk all the way around. How is that measured? Well, it's measured because a, the train wasn't coming and B, they, <laughs> they, didn't know they took it, it slowly. Oh they my took it God. slowly. I mean, you got to figure out what, how to reach an alliance. I mean, I can give you a course on it, but that was a, that was not great from you. <laughs> All right. What about potent quotables? Okay. Best quotes from this book. What do you got? Yeah. So I'm not great at reading, so I'm probably going to mess some of these up, but <clears throat> excitement trembles in him. Some stupid <laughs> bozo on a spring. Love may be as divine as the poets say, but sex is bozo the clown bouncing around in a spring. How could a woman look at an erect penis without breaking it off into mad gales of laughter? <laughs> oh, is that the Chico story? Yeah, which uh, okay. that was uh, that was the quote, which I don't really get because do women not typically laugh? I don't. Uh, not for me. I don't know. Oh, oh yeah. Totally. <gasps> <laughs> Must be nice. What about you? Yeah. Well, I thought there were some great disses in this book. So like these kids are obviously, you know, they're mm. pretty crass. Yeah. And they're down to say whatever. So fuck your hand, man. Eat me raw through a flavor nice. straw. Nice. That guy's odd as a cod. Like all those are all those are really good. There's like more disses than that. Those are just the ones that that popped off. But when they were talking about the train, Gordy says, My balls crawled up so high, I thought they was trying to get back home. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. That's that's good. I like that one. And then additionally, when they were talking about girls that their older brothers were seeing, and he said, you ain't never seen such gross looking broads outside of a carnival show. <laughs> <laughs> that just read to me in a Boston accent. Like, you ain't never seen such gross looking broads outside of a carnival show. <laughs> it's so uh, great. Would have been great in Goodwill Hunting. Would have been great. <laughs> last one when they're making fun of the guys, the older guys at the end, because once again, they had heard them under the porch and they were saying, Oh, you know, you should have seen the body. Like we don't want to go out there. And they were all scared. So they're making fun of them. And he says, Oh, Billy, I think I just turned my fruit, fruit of the looms into a fudge factory. <laughs> Good stuff. Nice, Good stuff. Nice. From the boys. I like that one. I also had the same thing with insults. The other ones I saw were, uh, your mother blows dead rats, which I liked. Wet That's end was <laughs> wet end was used often, which basically I look it up. It's the first section of a paper machine delivered into a slurry form. So, but it's someone who is incompetent. And then mm -hmm. uh, bite my okay. bag and suck my fat one. All all ones I'll be using um, pretty soon when I get into customer disputes with Amazon. Uh, bite my bag is pretty good quick. Like that's like, uh, bite yeah. my bag. Also, mm -hmm. the leeches. The leeches <laughs> did bite his bag. So. Let's um let's go into some buddy mail. You've got mail. Okay, this is Blake from Reno, Nevada. Hey, buddies. One crazy thing stood out to me uh, in this book was when Gordy was handed a loaded pistol as a prank. Boys will be boys, I guess, right? Question mark. I don't know why I have a question mark there. <laughs> what is the craziest thing you did in your childhood looking back now? I'll hang up and listen. Craziest thing in my childhood. Yeah, like, so like boys know. will be boys where yeah, it's like at the you. time you're like, yeah, this is fine. This is normal. And then looking back, like, holy shit, that was dumb. Uh, the first thing that comes to my head was that we had 
a couple of skateboards and we lived on a big hill and our friend's stepdad said we asked him if he could put the skateboard wheels onto one of our sleds because we wanted to go sledding but it was the summer yeah and he was like yeah no problem <laughs> so we <laughs> we basically put a piece of plywood to the bottom of a sled like a toboggan type sled and then we put the skateboard wheels like all throughout all, all throughout it on the bottom and these weren't like your regular skateboard wheels these were like the long rubber ones that go really fast and he built us what we ended up calling the sled board and we would just ride it me and two friends like only two people could fit on it but we yeah. had a third person who was just in the back like a bobsledder you know uh, the, the <laughs> third one that stood up kind yeah. of we would ride it down our hill which was super steep and there was two crossroads before you got to the main road at the yeah. bottom so like there were stop signs there like you were if a car oh, was geez. coming you'd be okay. screwed <laughs> and we rode that thing until because the only way to break was to put your shoes down on the asphalt and then yeah. just like rip this the rubber <laughs> off your soles because you're going so fast yeah and we rode that thing a bunch of times somehow no one got hurt like That's... really hurt there's like <laughs> bruises and scrapes but um yeah that was probably like the dumbest childhood thing we did yeah I, we did something similar but it was more it was i was on a street that was a dead end so or it wasn't dead end but it was a cubicle circle street what's that called <laughs> cubicle street cul-de-sac there we go there so go. it was like not nearly the same risk but it was still a big hill that we went down anyways so the limit, uh, statute of limitations i believe has passed for from my story but uh probably incriminating myself but back in the the day of uh, forts and tree houses, my buddy and I would, uh, I went to his house and he lived in this like big wooded area. And if you walked like a mile into the woods, there was a camp, a summer camp there. Very and so cool. we would dress up in camo, go out into the woods, spy on the camp. And eventually when people would leave, we'd sneak in and steal their bow and arrows, <laughs> which weren't like lethal bow and arrows or like kids bow and arrows, but like they would actually hurt or like hit people. And yeah. then we built a fort next to the woods and, Anyone that would come, we'd shoot arrows at them from the what? <laughs> so yeah, that was uh that was something we did. You didn't actually shoot it at them though. It was one of those like warning shots, like we have yeah. like an arrows type thing, and there were their arrows. So it was uh <laughs> Yeah. Cause I was gonna say either the, you didn't actually shoot at them or you got sucked at shooting arrows. Yeah, because, yeah, like, yeah. We weren't if someone to... got hurt, like yeah. that would have been but we thought we were like Navy amazing. SEALs. We were like we had full camo in, and we're like hiding in fucking like <laughs> trees and leaps. But anyway, yeah. now looking back at that, I'm like, oh shit! But it was still awesome. I don't yeah, it sounds it. sounds phenomenal. Yeah. Kids do crazy shit. I yeah. respect that. Blake, uh, thanks for bringing that yeah. memory back to my life because I would not have thought about it otherwise. And holler to my boys, Mark and Hayato, for sledboarding. Good times. <laughs> Let's cast this movie. This book was obviously made into a movie, like we talked about before. Stand by Me, which came out in 1986. River Phoenix, Corey Feldman keep forgetting the guy's name he's in sliders donald or something oh donald yeah 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 it's yeah. funny that i know sliders so <laughs> do you actually know sliders no, gotcha. TV sliders, show? All, sliders a great tv Fact. show yeah great jerry o'connell jerry yeah, o'connell yeah, yeah. yeah young jerry o'connell so it's tough for me because i saw this movie well before i read the book for the first time this time around and i've probably seen the movie like four or five times throughout my life it was tough for me to cast this one. So I'd be interested in what you had. Yeah, I did um, my all-stars of kids. So I can choose kids from any era or any time point. Not Obviously, they're like kids now. So for Gordy, I went with Charlie Conway from Mighty Ducks, who I think is oh. 
Percy from what's oh, that? Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek. Dawson's there we go. Creek. Yep. Yeah. So I thought he was a good leading man. Who'd you end yeah. up going with or did you stick with the? I didn't. I really only had two for the, it's tough okay. for me, but I really did. I did think that Ben Affleck would have been a good Chris. I mean, yeah. Ben Affleck was in Voyage of the Mimi when he was about this age. I think he was like 12. He was between 10 and 14. He was on. Did you ever watch Voyage of the Mimi? No, the first time I saw well, Ben Affleck was some anti-steroids video that we watched. Oh, <laughs> interesting. No, yeah. so Voyage of the Mimi, he was like a legit child actor. Oh, and okay. it was like half science. It was like for school. So it was like half science, half an actual story of like him joining the ship's crew and like going to the Galapagos kind of and like doing stuff. I don't know. It was a weird fucking show. But at one point, even it got weirder because some guy got hypothermia and everyone had to get naked and get in a sleeping bag. And he was a 12 year old boy. So, <laughs> but either way, he could have played a good Chris. He kind of, he had the vibe yeah. and we've already talked about the Goodwill hunting stuff. So yeah, he's my Chris. Okay. I had to put my boy Shia LaBeouf in there from even Stevens. Cause he's my favorite kid actor of all time. And I think he'd be, could play like the, we know, we know about Shia. We talked about him for holes. Great actor. <laughs> I think he can play the guy that that gets beat up by his parents, but also which happened in real life, but also is like can be the the sensible one. Shia could be literally any character in this except for yeah. Vernon. I would believe it. Yeah, for Teddy, I had Squints from Sandlot, who I think is like the picked oh, on Squints Scolari. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that would be a good one for him. And the, I looked at the movie um, images, and they didn't show the guy with fucking grilled cheese ears. So what was going on there? It was Corey Feldman. And he just had long, dusty hair. I don't think they want to spend the money to like do the prosthetics okay. for his ears. They did like mention it. I don't remember. Did he have if, a hearing aid? I don't remember to tell you the truth. <laughs> what was funny is when the book began and he was like had a hearing aid that was like obvious. I was like, that's super nice of these kids, you know, to not like back then not to make fun of a kid that has a hearing aid. And then the, the story goes on to be like, oh yeah, and then he gets his fucking head put up against a grill. <laughs> his ears are all fucked up. I'm like, oh wow. Also, the thing I like about these characters is like they would shit on him for that. Like, not like being like, you have retarded ears, but like, because they say retarded, that's the only reason why I'm saying it. But like the fact that they would say, you know, they would kind of poke fun at each other to show their friendship. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, Which it's not real. personal. Yeah. yeah, it's real. It's real. Um, I like that. But yeah, it wasn't like that. But it wasn't like that in the movie. From what I can remember, I will also say I didn't watch the movie beforehand, obviously, because I wanted to kind of experience the book itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and truthfully, Vern, I couldn't possibly cast because Jerry O'Connell at 12 is like the perfect Vern. He's he's so good. Like you should watch the movie just because Vern is like perfect. You like you would think, oh, yeah, this I probably changed my opinion Vern. of him. The only thing I could say is like chunk from the Goonies could be Vern. OK, this is probably not going to be well liked or received, but I had Anakin from Star Wars, the kid. <laughs> I think he's the most hated actor, <laughs> child actor out there. But I don't know. The girl in Homeland is probably my least favorite. Oh, yeah. And so that can that can tie right into also my side characters who I think are great kid actors. TJ Henderson from Smart Guy. Great, great actor. And then the kid from Sixth Sense. But he's too dark to play in this. So I didn't I didn't cast him. Stranger Things has a lot to do with this book. Yeah. So you could really just take the Stranger Things cast and put oh, yeah. them in this book and they great. would be, and they'd be perfect. Yeah. That's like, a great call. You know, yep. They each have their own thing. Uh, my last one was just, I, I put Nick Cage as Ace Merrill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. God damn it. You're right. You're right. Oh, I also uh, forgot to mention in the Lardass Hogan 
this was like a big like the vomitorium you know like literally just this huge which actually isn't about vomit but they this idea a year later came out in monty python's movie that they came the meaning of life Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've seen that skit but they have the guy who just can't stop eating in the restaurant and is just vomiting the whole time i'm not sure how big vomit humor was at the time but it feels like between this and that i don't know if there's any references as to either but they definitely put vomit humor on the map so props to them yeah that was just a quick aside but uh all right what'd you like best about this book well, would you recommend it? I would recommend the book. First of all, it's an easy read and it's an interesting coming of age story. So I think that's good. I don't think if it were 500 page book, I don't know how much I would love it. I think I, by the time it was over, I was ready for it to be finished. Great story. Great overall book. I would recommend it. So you're down. You're down for Stephen yeah. King in the future. Yeah. I, the thing is, most Stephen King books are super long. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, ah, I don't know if I could do this for... It felt lo- much longer than a five-hour read. It felt like uh, there seems like way more going on. He and definitely it, writes a lot. He definitely writes a lot. But like everything I've read from him in terms of, especially The Stand, which is a thousand-page book, it's like, oh my God, this is such a huge book. It It's a, such a page-turner, and it's, oh, okay. you're so invested in the characters. It's so good. So, really? uh, I mean, he definitely writes long and like writes deep into situations. Yeah, I'm fine with that. It draws you into it so much. So uh, yeah, I thought this I was, think- this is definitely a great book for like getting into Stephen King. If someone's okay. like, Hey, have you read any Stephen King? It's like, Oh, we'll start with this because you, you know, you notice how like the writing was good. Like it was yeah, like, Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, there's a lot of detail that's interesting. And the way he writes is super fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really liked it. And I think to that, my favorite thing about this book was that it felt like it was the conversations between the kids. It felt like they were conversations happening between 13 year old boys, but yeah. this is being written by a 30 something year old man who didn't experience this stuff. Like he's just writing it for the top of his head. It sounded yeah. like 13 year old boys talking to each other. I thought that he got that across so well. And I didn't ever feel like, okay, this is some guy writing about some Mm. kids, Uh, even though Gordy is writing about them. I really liked it. Definitely recommend this book to listeners, to friends, whatever. Like I said, it'd be a great intro into the Stephen King universe, which I think we on this podcast should dive deeper into FYI. So what's next? What's next for us here? Yeah. So next book is Artemis by Andy Weir. He wrote The Martian, which I've heard really, really good reviews about The Martian as a book and obviously the movie I've seen, which is great. This one's going to be more of a futuristic, I believe, book, which is, I think, up mine in D-Man's Alley. Bonus fact, the audiobook, if you're so inclined, is read by Ros- Rosario Dawson, the actress. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So it's interesting. All right. I love it. So you can check us out on Instagram, on Twitter, at email. Keith, what do we got? What are our, what are our contacts? Yep. Buddy Book Club Podcast at gmail.com, at Buddy Book Club on Twitter, Buddy Book Club Podcast on IG. Shoot us some recommendations for books. We're always looking for fun stuff to check out. Ideally, something that's popular that people have read. And if you have any comments, questions about the podcast Hate itself... Mail. Hate mail. We love hate mail. Please send us hate mail. We'll read it. What? (laughs) (laughs) We'll definitely read it. We'll read it and we'll incorporate it into the podcast. So send it our way. 
any new segments, we'd love to hear it. Otherwise, buddy, this has been fun. I really like this book, and I'm glad we got to discuss it. And on to the next one. Let's do it. Bye now. Right. <laughs>